Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Our Bible reading today from Proverbs chapter 26, verses from 1 to 12. Like snow in summer or rain in harvest, Honor is not fitting for a fool. Like a flattering sparrow or a dancing swallow, a darting swallow, an undeserved curse does not come to rest. A whip for a horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rope for the backs of fools. Do not answer a fool according to his fault, or you yourself will be just like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Sending a message by the hands of a fool is like cutting off one's feet or drinking poison. Like the useless legs of one who is lame is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Like trying a stone, tying a stone in a sling is a giving of honor to a fool. Like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a, a proverb, proverb in the mouth of a fool. Like an anchor who wounds at random is the one who hires a fool on any passersby. As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. Do you see a person with their own do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. This is a word of the Lord. Before we look at God's word together, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you guide us in our everyday lives. Thank you that your lordship reaches to every part of our daily walk. Please give us wisdom. Please give me wisdom in the words I say and help us to honour you in our thinking and in our action for Christ's sake. Amen. You know the Darwin Awards? They're given for those who, they say, improve the overall gene pool of humanity by removing themselves from it. People who die in spectacularly stupid ways and uh, thus remove the least um, intelligent people from among us. It's interesting, I saw the statistics of the Darwin Awards that have been awarded at the time that I checked. 282 have been awarded to men 
and only 36 to women. 88.7%. So it figures that uh, men have this gift of being spectacularly stupid. Well, in 1997, according to the Darwin Awards, Wayne was bitten by a cobra belonging to his friend Roger after reaching in the tank to pick up this poisonous snake. He thought, I don't need to go to hospital. I'm a man. I can handle it. Instead, on Wayne's suggestion, the pair headed to a pub instead. There he proved what a man he was by sinking several pints, boasting to everyone about the bite and probably dying about an hour later. Apparently, cobra venom is a slow-acting toxin which takes several hours to attack the central nervous system. What a man. A true recipient of the Darwin Awards. In Japan in 2017, a worker needed to change a light bulb that was 10 metres overhead. The forklift, unfortunately, could only lift him two and a half metres. Clearly not close enough. So he thought to himself, how many wooden pallets, 15 centimetres thick, can I stack in order to get to the light bulb? The answer, of course, was 37. <laughs> he did the maths, he stacked the pallets. And perched on this wooden wonder, the 40-year-old man convinced a colleague to lift this wooden stack by a forklift to the ceiling. Well, surprise, surprise, the rickety stack fell down and he was awarded his Darwin Award as he died under this heap of wood. In March 2018 in Birmingham, a man got his head stuck, believe it or not, beneath the electric footrest at the cinema while retrieving his mobile phone, which had fallen down. While he was down there, he suffered a fatal heart attack and they couldn't release him as he was wedged in under the seat. Well, the winners of these Darwin Awards take foolishness to the next level, don't they? But in your pastoral ministry, how are you going to deal with a fool? This is a vital and often ignored part of pastoral ministry. I asked Richard yesterday, do we in our pastoral care classes ever talk about how to deal with a fool? Mind you, I have many clergy who I hear who complain of the fools that they have to deal with. He said, no, it doesn't even come up, really. What about dealing with difficult people? That's a nicer way of describing fools. No, we don't really talk about that either. And yet it seems that that is a significant part of our ministry. Well, today's your chance to begin to consider it because I want to look at this passage from Proverbs 26 under the heading, How to Deal with a Fool and Why That's Important. Did you notice in our Bible reading as Victoria read it to us that the word fool occurs in every verse except verse 2? Fool, 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 fool. Now, that's unusual because Proverbs sometimes randomly or seemingly randomly collects Proverbs together. But here is a passage dealing with one particular topic, the nature of a fool. 
We're not really concerned with what kind of fool it is. It's a, a fairly broad focus. There are a variety of comments that describe what all kinds of fools have in common, as well as some indication about how to treat them and why that's important. So let's first look at what characterises a fool. How does Proverbs describe a fool? Because a little bit different to those people who have uh, been successful in their quest for a Darwin Award. There are many references to fools in the book of Proverbs, over 70 particular references to fools. And one of the key characteristics of a fool in Proverbs is their speech. For how a person speaks is often a good indication of their character. Typically, when uh, people come to you in a pastoral situation, it's their speech that discloses where they're really at. In Proverbs, the fools typically say something inappropriate. They might babble on. They might spread gossip, bring strife, cause harm. They're all quotes from the book of Proverbs. They cannot be trusted to pass on a message nor be relied upon to tell the truth. They are self-focused, quick-tempered, lacking in sensitivity, often manipulative and commonly lazy. But there's something even more fundamental than those outward expressions of being a fool. In the opening uh, chapter of the book, they're described as despising, rejecting, wisdom and instruction. Now, instruction doesn't mean classroom instruction. It's a word that talks about shaping, formation, training, responding to God's attempts and the wise teacher's attempts to make them into the person that they're meant to be. Someone who's resistant to correction, to rebuke, Proverbs 28 describes them as trusting in themselves. They refuse to listen to advice and they react angrily when people might confront them. They simply delight in airing their own opinions. So that's a digest of what the book of Proverbs says about a fool. And their key failure, I think, in the context of the book of Proverbs is that they don't read these individual Proverbs through chapters one to nine. That's a big thing I try to push in my wisdom class, the importance of reading chapters one to nine first. And the three truths that you find in Proverbs chapters one to nine that are important for reading the whole book are to start with the right foundation, building their lives on the fear of the Lord, treating God as God. And on top of that, to choose the pathway of wisdom and keep on choosing the pathway of wisdom while rejecting the pathway of folly. And the third truth that you see in Proverbs chapter 1 to 9 that's so important for a wise and godly life is to have our character shaped, who we are on the inside, our hearts, the book of Proverbs sometimes calls it. So those three things, building on the right foundation, the ongoing expression of choosing wisdom, rejecting folly, and having who we are shaped, our character shaped. And fools refuse all three of those things as they seek to live life the way they want to live. We cannot bypass any of those steps without slipping back into folly. 
but fools think them too trivial to bother with. Well, how then should we deal with fools? That's what a fool is in the book of Proverbs. It's not a person of limited intelligence. It's a person with a stubborn heart. So how should we deal with them? Well, our passage here says, verse 1, that it's not fitting to deal with them with honour, to treat them with honour. Like snow in summer or rain in harvest, honour is not fitting for a fool. And a similar thing in verse 8. We need to treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be, all-knowing, all-wise. Sometimes we feel in ministry the need to be affirming to everybody or to avoid conflict. So we're tempted to utter untrue positive words. Oh, we're richer for having you here. You, you make life so much more interesting. You're clearly the smartest person in the room. It's both dishonest and unhelpful for those that need a reality check. Verse 3 tells us that fools need discipline. Just like a, a horse needs a bridle, so a rod is needed for the back of fools. Discipline, shaping, training. We don't need to affirm people so they keep on their same dead-end path, but sometimes to correct them so they move in a different direction. Verse 6 tells us that we're not to entrust them with a task like passing on a message. Sending a message by the hand of a fool is like cutting off one's feet or drinking poison. Probably two good ways to get into the Darwin Awards, I suspect. When a fool is given a message to pass on, they might distort it or twist it or add their own comments. It's not worthy. Our message is unlikely to arrive intact because it's changed or distorted as it is presented. If a task is worth doing, please don't entrust it to a fool. tells us an interesting verse 4 and 5, I think, at the heart of this passage. They're the only two commands in this passage, only two instructions. A lot of descriptions, but here I think it's the heart. And here's a problem that people have. What are we meant to do? Verse 4 tells us, do not answer a fool according to his folly. And verse 5 says, answer a fool according to his folly. Which one do we work on? Well, the truth is we work on both, and let me show you how. First of all, verse 5 says, don't answer a fool according to his folly. Why? Or you yourself will be just like him. What's it saying there? Don't let fools set the agenda. Don't make a fool of yourself by trying to reason with a fool. You drag yourself down to their level. But on the other hand it's sometimes appropriate to confront them, to answer a fool according to his folly, or he'll be wise in his own eyes. And, of course, the Bible's useful for this purpose, isn't it? Because 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that the Bible's useful for uh, teaching, for correction, for reproof and for training in righteousness. It's exactly the right tool that we have, and that's why we need to keep on doing lots of biblical studies in our degree so that we are thoroughly immersed in the scripture so we'll know how to speak to those around us. 
But are we to answer fool according to their follies or not answer them? And I guess that helps us to see something of the nature of a proverb. Few proverbs are designed to cover every situation. We know the contrasting proverbs we have in English. Too many cooks spoil the broth, but many hands make light work. Look before you leap, but he who hesitates is lost, and so on. Many in in, uh, English proverbs, and here's an example in Hebrew proverbs. We need to work out when to do one and when to do the other. Both are true and helpful as proverbs, but which applies to any specific circumstance. So sometimes if we try to reason with fools, we can get caught up in their pointless talk and so become foolish ourselves. But we're not to do that. But sometimes we need to show a fool that their argument leads logically to really undesirable and negative conclusions and to present thoughtful arguments in response. And that will alert fools to the fact that their views need rethinking. The difficulty is knowing when to rebuke and when to ignore. And knowing that is a matter of allowing God to shape us as wise people, that we have some wisdom, some discernment, so that we will know when to say one thing, when to say um, a confronting word and when simply to ignore the kind of uh, comments and behaviour that people make. Well, why should we deal with fools? And why should we bother? Why is it important? Well, their words are significant and can affect other people. We see in verse 7 that like the useless legs of one who is lame is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. The point of the image is that the legs of a lame person can't function as legs or do. They can't, you can't walk on them. They can't get you from A to B. They're useless for the purpose for which they're intended. Often the words of fools need to be weighed and addressed because they lead people down a useless path by giving them futile, unnecessary advice. It's clear that you can't simply sprout forth proverbs or like platitudes um, and uh, build up the community. But sometimes it's worse than just being useless. Look at verse 9. Like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in a mouth of fool. Sometimes people can almost weaponise words. And the words in a mouth of a fool can cause damage and destruction. That image of a drunk person wandering down the street, staggering down the street, waving a a big bush with spikes on it and thorns, are able to inflict damage on others. Doing nothing isn't a sensible option in that kind of situation. Why? Because God's people deserve more than that. Part of your pastoral role is to protect as well as to build up the flock. And if we're committed to the community, then we must act. Part of a problem of the church is uh, when we ask for volunteers, we get volunteers. (laughs) Sometimes probably don't get volunteers. But uh, 
we're so keen to give people a job to do that we'd like to take on, uh, take on board people when actually it oughtn't to be the kind of thing that we do. We ought to be very careful because their words, their actions can be useless, but they can also be dangerous. And that's why we need to uh, act and deal with uh, fools. Verse 11 gives another reason why it's important to deal with a fool. As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. How are people going to change? I mean, it's short-sighted for us to leave fools stuck where they are. Fools won't learn from their mistakes. I mean, that's part of resisting, rejecting instruction, shaping, formation, training. So we should avoid relying on them. Fools don't just need to be instructed. They need to have that foundational change that Proverbs 1 to 9 was talking about, making sure they're built on the right foundation of the fear of the Lord treating God as God. Make sure they keep on choosing the path of wisdom rather than the path of folly and having who they are change. And without that, they'll never give up and decisively turn away from folly. The last reason I think we see here to deal with uh, fools is it's for their own good. Look at verse 12. Do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for them. The implication is that uh, fools are almost as bad as those who are wise in their own eyes. They don't recognise their shortcomings, the limits of all human wisdom which isn't grounded in God, which isn't seeking to follow the way of wisdom, which isn't working on their character. And that, I think, is why we need to include how to deal with a fool in our pastoral care. For fools, we might call them difficult people. People don't like to talk about fools. But uh, fools are actually destructive, destructive of the community and distracting for the community, for the church. They will draw our attention away from Christ's agenda for us as his people They will undermine our unity in Christ and they will inflict pastoral damage on our Christian groups. It's tempting to avoid conflict by not dealing with a fool. But for the sake of God's people, for the sake of Christian growth, for the sake of Christian unity, for the sake of Christian ministry, sometimes we need to take the harder path rather than the easy path of pretending it's not a problem. But the other thing that comes up, I think, when I think of how to deal with a fool is to examine ourselves. It's easy to see foolishness in other people, but because the fool is a character type in the book of Proverbs, we will all from time to time act like fools and pick up some of the characteristics of the fool. We'll we'll be resistant to correction and training and shaping. And we need to watch ourselves as well as watch others. Sometimes in ministry it's your offsider or your boss who is a fool. Not in my case, I should uh, (laughs) emphasise. 
And the phrase wise in their own eyes, it's used here in verse 5 and in verse 12, um, elsewhere describes a fool who won't listen to advice, who's a lazy person or a rich person lacking understanding. It refers to those who are self-sufficient rather than grounding their lives in wisdom. And sometimes when we're isolated in ministry, it's easier to develop that self-sufficiency that stops relying on God, stops being shaped by God's spirit and simply trusts in our own strength without allowing God to work on our character, who we really are on the inside. The recognition of our own shortcomings and our own temptation to foolishness should lead us to trust further in the Lord. Well, to conclude, let's look at the bigger picture here. How should Christians today deal with fools? Has Jesus brought a new way of relating and decision-making? Of course, when Christ has come, he's made all things new. Things, I guess, are both different and the same. The one foundation for the fear of the Lord is filled out by trusting that Christ has died for our sin. That's a proper foundation, the only appropriate way to treat God as God. And the importance of choosing wisdom and rejecting folly is filled out in the New Testament under the heading of living under the Lordship of Christ. Of course, having our character changed is, according to Galatians 5, the work of the Spirit as he grows his fruit in our lives. It's not that we need to go in a different direction as New Testament believers, but that the basic thrust of the book of Proverbs is filled out in helpful ways in uh, our New Testament. We still need to deal with fools and we have clear instructions in Scripture about how to do so. Fools today, difficult people, still despise training, shaping or formation. They refuse to be transformed more and more into the likeness of the Lord Jesus. They reject God's even clearer instructions and do not acknowledge his right to reshape our lives. And they reject the scriptures, which, as Paul said, was useful for their very task of teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. And we still need wisdom to know how to answer a fool according to their folly and when to let it pass through to the keeper. There is no single way to deal with fools, but always our goal should be to act wisely so that the community of God's people will be built up. Not to do what will necessarily be easiest for our comfort or will avoid us getting involved, but what will be best to build up the community of God's people and those in pastoral responsibilities have a particular need to do exactly that. Proverbs wants us to see how useless and destructive fools can be so that we can prevent them from infecting or sidetracking our local gatherings of God's people. And it's there to challenge us as we look in the mirror. We need to have the humility to examine our own lives and see if there's any foolishness in us that needs to be dealt with. God has so much more planned for us and we need to have the wisdom and discernment to know when to respond 
and when to ignore. And Michael, that's why you need to keep on doing more and more study. Not simply for the content, but for the shaping, the formation that happens as we learn together in community. So dealing with fools is important, but it's not over the end game. Growing in wisdom and godliness is. Building on the right foundation, choosing wisdom, not folly, and having our character transformed to be more and more like the God we serve. That's what Jesus calls life in all its fullness. And dealing with fools in a way that honours God is an important part of that. Let's pray. Lord God, sometimes you call us to move outside of our comfort zone. And we pray, dear God, we might have the courage to do that when it's called on. We pray that you might give us wisdom and insight to know when to confront a fool and when to ignore or sideline them. But we pray, dear God, that you would have our motive for ministry, not being our own comfort, but the importance of building up the community for Christ's sake and for the benefit of his people. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.